Hello, it's Jack Tudor here of Attention Magazine. Welcome to Crucial Listening, the podcast where I speak with musicians and sound artists about three albums that are important to them. My guest this time is Victoria Shen, or Evic Shen, a sound artist, experimental music performer and instrument maker based in San Francisco. Victoria's work is so interesting for how she melds these different roles together. Her noise has this very haptic, responsive, organic quality to it. It's always on the move, always seems to be responding to where it's been. There's no sense of rigidity or fixed loops in what she's doing. Everything feels very live. And partly that must be to do with the way that she collapses the boundaries between these roles of instrument maker and performer. I mean, take her needle nails, for example, where she's able to play records with these nails that she's designed, you know, literally making the instrument an extension of herself. And that's another kind of theme that I've seen within Victoria's work, I guess, is this collapse of boundaries between distinct entities. For example, on her record Hair Birth, the record sleeve was turned into a loudspeaker so you could actually play the record using the jacket itself, again, sort of removing this divide between the object and the means of amplification. And then there's her split records that she designed where she splices together two separate records, making like a literal split release. It's really cool. So there's so much for us to dive into with Victoria's work. We talk a bit about her current residency at Audium in San Francisco, which sounds really cool. There'll be a number of performances throughout February, March and April. I believe that if you're local to San Francisco, you can check out. And also, Victoria is on tour with Machine Girl as we talk about. Tour dates are in the links for the show notes for this episode. Um, and you can head over to attentionmagazine.co.uk forward slash crucial listening for all those links as well. Head over to Evic Shen, E-V-I-C-S-H-E-N.com to check out Victoria's work too. Okay, I hope you enjoy this one. Thank you for listening as always. Remember you can donate to Crucial Listening at coffee, ko-fi.com forward slash crucial listening if you're enjoying what you're hearing and want to chip in, help things keep ticking. Otherwise, please enjoy this episode with Victoria Shen on Crucial Listening. Hello, Victoria. Welcome to Crucial Listening. Hi, Jack. Thanks for having me. Thanks for coming on. So 
we're here to talk about your three important albums. Before we get to those, I'd like to ask a few questions about your own work. So firstly, tell me about this audio residency. I mean, am I right in thinking, so I was looking at it earlier, that you've just, you're on the brink of kind of finishing one phase of it and then entering another phase of it, is that right? Yeah, that's um, that's pretty much accurate. I mean, it's like, um, it started in October and um, the, the pieces are going to premiere in early February. And so um, that whole time you're supposed to be as a resident composing uh, work for it. But I think um, the chapter is kind of closed on the composition part. And now we're thinking about um, kind of the accoutrement to the main performance, which is, you know, the interstitial music and uh, kind of video installations for the lobby because the audio is this very particular uh, San Francisco experience. It was originally founded um, in the 50s as a theater of sound and it's an incredibly uh, <laughs> like singular experience because <laughs> you're primed from the moment you walk in to like the moment that you leave but um, to prick your ears up and like kind of recalibrate how you hear and then uh you so it's it's very dark it's very uh like special like future retro space and then you go into the main theater and there's 176 speakers in there um it's they're not all individually addressable but there is actually quite a lot of resolution in terms of um spatialization and i think um Part like a very essentially part of the experience is that there is a live performer that's pushing the sound around uh, in real time. And oh, the other thing is you're in complete darkness. Um, oh wow! And, yeah, yeah. So that's another kind of novel thing about um, about this and the fact that this was um, founded in the fifties and had been has been going strong like the whole time has been kind of an anomaly i think especially in san francisco where um you know real estate comes at a premium oh yeah but uh yeah the the darkness is a lot for for people to to handle and uh there's varying levels of i've heard yeah uh (laughs) people who either fall asleep or people who have like some kind of post-traumatic stress trigger just from being in the darkness Yeah. yeah Wow. Um, and the the sonic pieces themselves, they've um, like hitherto this residency program. Um, it had only been like the founder and his son who have been able to put together pieces and um, perform them in the space. And um, this is the first time they're actually having outside composers uh, come in and, and use their very unique system. When I first went in, I was thinking that oh, like a lot of what I'll, I'll learn about um, like you know audio routing could come in handy for like other systems systems but that's not the case at all it's like this really interesting mixture of like very very old school like analog routing um they used to literally have like a motor um moving around connections uh like (laughs) like pushing the signal around yeah and this kind of like a rotary like switch situation um wow and uh they've recently kind of updated it to be like digital to (laughs) so there's there's some dsp leading up to the the analog amps but it yeah so it's a hybrid system very very unique but um yeah i mean i used to do this kind of thing like professionally just uh like audiovisual installation and maintenance type of thing and I've worked with uh, Spatialized Sound 
a bit before, but this is a, a totally uh, <laughs> a singular creature. Um, but yeah, so we're we kind of close the chapter on uh, composing just for our pieces. And uh, oh, I built um, a custom MIDI controller because in the update they they were um, controlling kind of like live performance using an iPad, and I really really detest. Um, <laughs> touchscreen audio interfaces, and so I made a, a hardware one, of course. Nice. Um, and that, that's kind of my bag. I don't know how familiar familiar you are with like kind of my body of work, but a lot of it is just um, analog and and hardware based. Yeah, yeah. Well, one thing I'm intrigued to ask you at this point is, though I'm trying to visualize, say, someone who dabbles in a bit music, but not to this extent, walking into that space and kind of getting to grasp with the technical faculties of this space and how it all operates. And then also yeah. facing down the fact that you've got to compose something for it. Right. Where do you start? So I guess uh, what I was doing initially was um, using uh, different recordings that I've made. Well, the very first thing I did was play different kinds of music through the space and seeing right. like how... Um, it lends itself to certain sound palettes and, you know, timbres and stuff like that. And uh, punk sounds horrible <laughs> <laughs> through it. Pop sounds okay through it, but uh, <laughs> wow. um, it's really fantastic for electronic sounds, for, for Vox. Um, and also even like um, any like electroacoustic sound sounds really incredible. And uh, mm. the, the other thing that's kind of weird about the system is like all of the speakers, it's not like, you know, an ambisonics chamber where it's like a Genelec, like very good frequency response kind of system. Like every speaker has its own color. And so you have to like play to those characteristics. Wow. Um, and so you really have to tailor a piece to the the idiosyncrasies of the of of the space. But yeah, I'm really psyched because I, I'm also they have they were trying to put as big of an emphasis on the liveness as possible, and then that's primarily I think where my um, my artistic forte lies is within live performance. And so I'm going to integrate records that I've been casting out of resin uh, with like these. Um, uh, customizable these homemade turntables uh, that I designed to uh, be able to change the speed and direction. So I think at the end of my piece, I'll be doing a live um, kind of playback using um, styluses on my fingernails, like in the middle of the space. So it'll nice. be like a kind of and not to spoil anything. I, I doubt any of the listeners will be able to make it <laughs> to this highly, <laughs> highly local specific uh, kind of, you know, window of performance. But yeah, um, yeah. Uh, yeah, I'll probably close with that. And the other thing about the turntables is they have lights on the inside. And so that works out nicely with my, my um, handmade records because they're um, transparent with different colored resins. So um, you get this nice like dream machine effect. Oh, so it looks so good in the dark as well, I guess. Yeah, well, I'll, I'll hope so. Yeah, I, I think so. I think so. <laughs> so as you've mentioned as well, you work primarily with hardware, you mm. build your own instruments. It sounds like from interviews that I've read and watching performances, your live setup seems very fluid, very adaptable. seems like you're quite consistently bringing new things in to mm -hmm. what you're working with. I'm intrigued, is there anything specifically at the moment that you're very excited by within your life setup that maybe you just recently brought in that you're just sussing out does anything come to mind in that respect 
I think the yeah my set has changed a lot in the last year in the, with the introduction of these needle nails these styluses and these acrylic nails mm-hmm. um, it just I mean it's a whole new world of like turntablism that I've never had to deal with because before I was using only you know like analog modular synths and like um, amplified metal and objects like a drum snare a bandsaw and then maybe like you know a bullwhip and like whatever other um, site specific kind of like objects and features that I want to like engage with and so now I have to like contend with this whole other layer of meaning which is like curating the samples or the records that I'm Mm. playing back and so I have to be a lot more intentional I think because before it was just kind of neutral sounds in a way that weren't beholden to like you know histories and baggage and I think um, when we talk about my selected records later I'm going to be talking about a uh, kind of like baggage and nostalgia and of course like the object of the record itself is very nostalgic um, mm. and kind of in some ways you know impractical but it's these sort of like impracticalities that uh, and these constraints that uh, that are necessary for like a uh, kind of like innovation and like being uh, like flexible and like improvising so uh, at any rate yeah like thinking about curation uh, like histories and then also uh kind of like presentation and uh like so the sound so the of course like the visual of seeing somebody like playing records with the nails is is a uh, kind of like a novel thing but then mm-hmm. also having to be like okay so I also have to make a compelling and dynamic sort of composition or you know live uh sound and so that's that's something that I've had to contend with too and I was trying to form these records in a way that would create dynamics that don't just sound like scratching and so i did this so i've been doing splits where i take like um two records cut them up recombine them and then do uh duplicates resin casts of those but then oh, also that's I was, cool. have you yeah I, I actually did a split with do you know aaron dilloway yeah of course um, yeah uh, I took half of uh, his his um, the the gag file record, and then my debut record, and then we like did an edition of thirty, and then put like zippers in the middle. So that's the other thing. There's embedded objects, found objects, like objects of historical significance, and in, in there, and like that's another layer of just visually, you know, of meaning. And then um, I did something where it was a three speed record where it was a 78, a 45 and a 33 record stacked on top of each other and then uh, did casts of those. And so with the needle nails, you can play three speeds at once. Oh, wow. And yeah, I mean, so I'm just trying to, you know, make these things uh, dynamic just when, within the form. So um, it'll be easier to uh, present interesting, compelling sounds like in a, in a live setting. Um, yeah, so that's kind of what what I've been most excited about. And for a, a non-live uh, context, I've been really excited about I- ideas of like embedded electronics within these records too. And it's just like, uh, and like sculptural objects, like maybe like embedding wigs in them. And so like you can like uh, on the turntable, you just have this spinning wig and just thinking about like form and function and, and what is necessary, what is unnecessary, maybe what is unnecessary is necessary. So lot of a lot of thoughts (laughs) (laughs) um to return to live with these records i mean i've seen some live performances where there's a lot of physicality a lot of movement i'm wondering with records uh, the general association with records i think of you know someone like myself who's quite clumsy Mm -hmm. i stayed away from records a lot because 
seems to be a lot of precision in just simply playing them, right? So I'm wondering whether or not incorporating records has affected the, say, the physical presence that you hold within performance or the way you think about physicality within performance to try and negotiate that aspect of it. Yeah, you know what I mean? Yeah, no, absolutely. It it is a total negotiation because um, for the first time, my setup has been kind of tethered because before my entire setup was battery powered and so that way I could be very mobile I can put right. my entire setup in the audience in the back whatever um, and now with the the turntable I need a power source to power the the motor so I need at least 12 volts and I've managed to get around that by adding a battery uh, and so before it was like very felt very unnatural to have to be stationed in, in some in some way hmm. um, but now that I have a battery. I built my own turntables because initially I was working with, you know, uh, prefabricated commercial turntables, and um, I've had to like make my own to sort of uh, not have to like <laughs> change <laughs> my my mo as a performer. So yeah, yeah now I have this, a very compact uh, turntable that with an itinerant battery that I can like move around. So recently I did a set with um, Mike Watt and the minute uh, the missing men. Excuse yeah, me. I um, saw that. And that was, it's really fun to perform with and totally out of my, my element, but that's always, you know, it's good to challenge yourself. But, um, sure. yeah, I was able to like, you know, put the turntable like over my head and do, um, other kind of like theatrics with it, but also of course that affects the sound as well. And so, uh, in some ways it's taken away some mobility, but in other ways it's added other elements of like physicality that I would have never thought of. And the fact that the record itself is physically encoded information, like physically encoded sound is mm. something I find highly compelling as I'm sure a lot of people find compelling, which is why it's still a, a relevant medium. Mm-hmm. Um, that's been like a, a really fun way to, to, to push my live performance. But then there's also, like you were saying, uh, if you're clumsy, you'd be worried about using, uh, the medium of, of records too, because vinyl is also uh, very deeply associated with preciousness and yeah, fragility. Yeah. Um, and actually, when I first, you know, debuted like the Needle Nails um, online, there was a lot of, I mean, like, like maybe five percent of the feedback was incredibly negative. Um, <sighs> like people like being very hostile and saying that. Uh, like, oh, yeah, someone actually said I should be drawn and quartered for vinyl abuse. It's just, like, pretty insane. I mean, wow. I, I don't have to justify, you know, this artistic practice, but, you know, these are these were off-cast. I'm not spending any money on, you know, the records that I'm destroying or, like, scratching up or anything like that. Yeah. But, I mean, that's beside the point, right? And so I think people have a lot of, like, psychic value tied up with this this object, this kind of format of music. And, I, I mean, it's... Po- I mean, if people have a lot of feelings about it, I think that's a really... I mean, that's where we should be looking. That's what we should be investigating. Like, why is there so much, like, libidinal investment in this kind of object? Totally. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. So... Before we go on to your important records, I just thought I'd ask, is there anything on the horizon immediately that you want to, that you're excited about, that you want to plug here? Have you got a tour with Machine Girl coming up? That's right. So that's probably um, the, the biggest thing looming on the horizon, aside from the, the audience performances, is the tour with Machine Girl. It's just a two-week tour um, through the like Midwest, all cities that I haven't been to before. So that's really oh, cool. exciting. But Machine Girl and I kind of go 
you know, several years back playing like shitty basement shows in Boston when I used to live there. <laughs> so, um, it'll be really nice to just kind of like spend some sustained time with them too. And then, yeah. And then also engage with their audience, which I think is quite a bit younger than like maybe the, the median age of, um, people that I perform for now. And, um, yeah, it'll, it'll be really, um, novel i think and uh, hopefully you know everyone will get a lot out of it um and then the other thing is uh, i'm playing south by southwest as an official artist come march and that'll also be another really exciting <laughs> new wow. experience too but i mean i just went to texas for the first time in november and it was really fantastic like i couldn't believe like how receptive and how you know how southern hospitality is a real thing <laughs> like, <laughs> i was really surprised i was like ah no that's not it's just a myth uh so that was novel too and um yeah and then i also was able to uh travel through europe recently and i think i'll be able to go back um for wow. a conference and maybe another tour in the summer so those are some perspective things excellent well for anything there's links related to i'll put them in the show notes um so let's go to your important records now victoria okay. one thing i like to ask at this point is how you thought about the word important when coming up with your three records like was there a a way that you understood that term in order to come up with the three records that you did yes um i was of course i wanted uh to select records that were important to me and and were formative to me and so as a consequence a lot of these records are kind of on the older side whether you know i was listening to them when I was in high school and very impressionable, um, or if I've been spinning them a lot off, like now that's a, that, that was another, um, criteria. Mm. And, um, it, it's funny because I did do like, um, someone asked me to do a 10 favorite records list. And then I had to present, I, I couldn't present under fifties. Yeah, so I gave them a list of that. 50 <laughs> records. Yeah. But so I had some experience paring down, so it was a little bit easier to go from fifty to three, uh, as opposed to infinite to fifty. So <laughs> maybe someone will ask me for one next time, and it'll be like no problem. <laughs> yeah. I'm glad to be part of that journey. Um, yeah. <laughs> so let's go with your first important record, then, Victoria. Which one do you want to talk about first? Let's do it uh, chronologically. Let's talk about Mother Nature's Son by Ramsey Lewis. Mm, okay, yeah. So give me a bit of background as to why this one's important to you. Well, this one is, is um, I've, it's the oldest one, but it's the one that I discovered most recently. And I had been listening to it almost nonstop for a period last year. Um, and I think it is a little bit more tractable than listening to the white album itself so if people don't know this is like a a cover like a sort of jazz pianist take on the white album and um he selects i think 11 tracks out of the the double lp white mm. album and um he just adds so much to it without having to deal with the baggage of the Beatles because like, you know, I was also watching, well, I, I watched get back recently, but I watched, what was it? One, two, three, um, that Rick Rubin documentary with Paul McCartney. Do you know oh, which one I'm right. talking about? Yeah. I've seen it advertised, but I, 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 to be honest, I got to the end of get back and I was like, I'm, I'm good for now, but maybe I'll come yeah. back to that one. <laughs> <laughs> that, that one's a little bit, it, it goes down a little bit easier at a lot of bit easier. Actually, 
it's okay. a lot more curated and <laughs> edited. So, and you know, it, positive ultimately is a very positive uh, piece of work. And um, mm. you know, and <laughs> it's funny as a follow up to, to watching that, I watched the Ruddles for the first time, which is like the Monty Python mockumentary. You know, oh, right. of, of the Beatles. Have you seen that at all? <laughs> no, That's like, I, I feel like that should be a must watch. It's really great. But yeah, I mean, I just have so many feelings sur- surrounding the Beatles and so much like nostalgia. And it's like, is it, am I actually engaging with the music or is this um something that's kind of contaminated with nostalgia and so kind of like contending through uh with like the composition and the music through ramsey lewis's perspective is a little bit more like tractable but also he makes a lot of innovations upon what like the beatles were doing on the white album using like the moog synthesizer right and some of i mean just like the very kind of sparse electronic like experimental like intros to some of the songs like you know mother's nature son and um everybody's got something to hide except for my monkey and me like they have very like incredible like avant-garde sounding intros but then it it dovetails very nicely with this very listenable very smooth uh like recapitulation of like a beatles composition Mm. so i mean it's just it just stirs a lot of emotions in me, but it's also at the same time like easy listening. And so I think there's just a lot to unpack in this kind of thing, not just Ramsey Lewis and this record in a vacuum, but just like where it sits in the overall history of um, of like sixties music. And then uh, the other thing is that I I think like they the Beatles were inspired by his use of the Moog synthesizer, and they used the Moog. Uh, in the recordings of Let It Be, and so I don't know if there is any huh. direct influence there, but just chronologically, one follows the other. Yeah, the chronological aspect is interesting as well because I understand that Mother Nature's Son was recorded just a month after the White Album came out. Yeah, which is bananas. <laughs> it is pretty bananas. Yeah. Yeah, and apparently Ramsey Lewis wasn't even a Beatles fan as well. Like he got. Kind of. He didn't get them, right? right? I mean, yeah. This is another admission I have to make. Though I've listened to other Ramsey Lewis, nothing nothing catches me as much as this this particular record and it probably has something to do with, you know, just creative differences between what the Beatles were were aiming for and what Ramsey Lewis were you know was aiming for, but um, like this meeting point, this juncture here, I think is like, I mean, incredibly moving for myself. So, and what about your relationship with the White Album? Like prior to discovering this, what did you make of that record? So I I, I never listened through it all the way through until. Um, like college and before that I mean I'm very much of the generation of uh, like um, oh god I, why don't I'm so tired <laughs> I almost said NASDAQ but what am I thinking Napster right, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah and uh, and LimeWire yeah. and SoulSeek and so I mean I'm sure you exp- well maybe I, I would wager that you're more used to downloading individual tracks than whole albums because that's what I was doing um, from middle school on, and though later, like in high school, I was on like torrent sites like Waffles and um, Oink FM and all this stuff, so where I was downloading full albums and listening that way. But my initial like, so so okay, in elementary school it was like CDs, so I would listen to CDs and then be able to skip through tracks that I didn't like, and then in middle school it was like 
downloading individual tracks and then high school is like a mixture of both but i was downloading you know like as my guitar gently weeps uh revolution nine mm, wow. you know and yeah. um like blackbird and stuff like this and then also like learning tabs for these songs so i never listened to the white album as like a full piece i never experienced it in its totality until later but also you know what is the experience of totality in music right since it's time based it's very a different kind of idea of what a totality is but mm. yeah just kind of the juxtaposition of one song after the other i never experienced that till afterward so i mean I, it's kind of like you know listening to the ramsey lewis uh record is kind of like how i was listening to the beatles when i was younger when i was like most impressionable <laughs> right, yeah it's both yeah beholden to like kind of the beatles and yet separate so and with this ramsey lewis record i mean i listened to i did listen through this album like once all the way through mm-hmm. and then i did one where like i alternated the white album track oh. with the equivalent ramsey lewis track wow and found some tracks to be really startling in terms of like where he'd dragged the arrangement and and how much of the the harmonic aspect or the chord progressions he'd really brought to the forefront in a beautiful way and that right. seemed a bit more straightforward but i'm curious from your perspective is there stuff on this that you think works particularly well as like a conversion of the white material stuff or stuff that doesn't yeah. i think um yeah, Cry Baby Cry is a really good one. Mm. And what else did I do I think has a stark difference, but not to say superior, but very compelling. Um, let's see. I would say a lot. The intros are probably the, the most interesting parts for me, for Mother's yeah. Nature's Son, and everybody's got something to hide. Um, Blackbird is really beautiful as well. Um, and the, I feel like... A lot of the sadness that and the darkness that's in the the white album it's kind of absent and so it's a much more like i guess overall upbeat take uh so yeah one song that i would not include <laughs> in <laughs> that i would leave off would probably be back in the ussr <laughs> right for this right <laughs> Yeah. It's just too, too, like, uh, Scott Joplin-y, you know, upbeat. That's just yeah. too too far gone. You, you felt that way as well. Yeah, I felt like the upbeat tracks generally, like, it's just too... Almost felt too a bit too, like, straightforward in terms of translating the energy. Yeah. But without yeah. the guitars and having that kind of... Just felt jaunty in mm-hmm. an uncomfortable way. Yeah. Yes, totally. <laughs> It's like, do you realize what the song is kind of like dealing with? It's in the title, right? But, but yeah, I mean, I think that's maybe why his other discography doesn't um, resonate with me as much is that kind of jaunty aspect of it. That's just kind of apparent throughout. But mm. yeah, I mean, this is just, I mean, to me, such a solid record, and I, I couldn't tear myself away from it for uh, <laughs> for a good while. So. <laughs> I think it would, yeah, I had to, I would be remiss if I didn't include this in the three. Nice. And one question on this one is, how how did you discover it? How did I discover it? I think um, I was, so a, a buddy of mine based in San Francisco um, 
who's kind of an experimental music fixture who's introduced me to like so much new music was playing it um at his house and, and like the in- one of the intros i forget exactly which song but it's one of the more electronic like spring uh reverby <laughs> intros was playing and i was like oh my god what is that and then you know it breaks way to like a a beatles cover and i was like oh my god this is like really fantastic and it really mm. struck a chord with me um so that i believe that's how where i first heard it and then from there i just had been like spinning it on um uh on my phone a whole bunch so Victoria, let's go to your second important record. So we're going chronologically. Okay. So that would be Electric Warrior by T-Rex. And I think uh-huh. that's uh, 71, I think. Am I correct? Yeah. Do I have to look it up? Okay. So, you know, a few years later, and it's the beginning of glam rock. Um, but before T-Rex, I think there were Tyrannosaurus Rex. And there was more like on the psych folk spectrum but i mean and the first time i heard t-rex was um on in the film billy oh god fuck. this is this is what you need to sleep not billy madison <laughs> Wasn't uh, the, do, do you know it's a it's an english film about billy elliot, uh, billy elliot thank you <laughs> yes about dancing uh, yeah was a son of a coal miner um with a coal miner brother who uh, I think becomes a scab during a, a big strike. Anyway, it's a really fantastic film, and the uh, eponymous character falls in love with T Rex when he first starts listening to records. And the song Cosmic Dancer, I just remember, I that's another track where I just listen to it over and over again. Um, but you know, in high school, and it just and this and <laughs> people have said to me mark bolin uh commits lyrical homicide with every song like the lyrics are so like nonsensical and <laughs> like, like overall insignificant oh and that's that's the other thing i should probably just like preface with like you know music discussion is that like lyrics you know wash over me like water off yeah. a duck like they do not stick i do not care about like the lyrics you're in good company yeah <laughs> okay good Same. good Good, so mm-hmm. bang a gong, get it on, whatever. Yeah, sure. I don't care. <laughs> yeah, I don't I care it. how frivolous yeah. <laughs> this is. I mean, I, of course, you still get, like, an overall field. I mean, this this Cosmic Dancer, oh, what is it, Planet Queen, uh, Life's a Gas. I mean, there's all this, like, kind of, like, space space talk that's going on and so okay he's trying to like like you know zoom out and scale and like, mm. talk about like cosmic harmonies and stuff like that and so okay that comes through as well but i don't have to like you know uh glom onto specific details and try and find meaning because where there isn't meaning probably probably not <laughs> <laughs> um but anyway so the cosmic dancer affected me so Jay, because it's just kind of this like melancholy song and it's a kind of like melancholy movie and so um in my uh emo teenage years it really stuck with me and then of course there's all these like upbeat glam elements too and like kind of the like sexually charged 
uh, like positive manic energy that that runs yeah. throughout like the 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 record too. But I mean, it's just it's a record that I listen to a whole bunch. It's something that's very danceable, and um, I think in selecting of important records, uh, my initial um, like instinct is to like go for things that are like more serious. But it's like no, like levity is actually like a very big part of my life too, and it's really important to like have like a sense of humor. So I think uh, it was it's really important to to me to like you know keep that in perspective too it's like ah yeah levity is fun <laughs> <laughs> yeah awesome it doesn't um, it instantly come to mind i think with important either that says severity doesn't it as a reflex but right i like you took it the other way that's cool so you said you were a teenager do you say when you first discovered this record yeah i was uh so i don't know what year billy elliot came out but yeah that's when i first heard it and then that's when i was downloading that i mean when i was a teenager growing up in san francisco i um just maybe because it's in the water and through osmosis i was just absorbing a lot of uh 60s music and i was learning guitar at the time and like trying to like pick up all the like Jimi hendrix tabs and i was doing the same with 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 t-rex as well and so I know, I know. I was saying it's like frivolous and like there's levity, especially in, in the lyrics. But I do think there was a lot of not not to say like melancholy again, but like a lot of like thoughtfulness and a lot of. I think just the nature of nostalgia itself is also you know sad. So mm. I was experiencing things as they were already over, and that's so it's like light, fun-hearted, but also at the same time like uh, uh, a little bit like. Uh, maybe, not say deep it it was it felt very profound to be listening to this kind of music at the at the same time totally yeah it's kind of it's not flat is it you can't be when you're when you're experiencing something in retrospect suddenly it's got all the shades of the now and a lot of conflict starts to emerge but um mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and so you were listening to similar kind of music at the time like did you feel like you were kind of primed for discovering t-rex and electric warrior or was this kind of taking you in a different direction in terms of your listening when you came into it i was I, you know as far as you know if memory serves i was discovering all this music at the same time i was listening to a lot of cream and the kinks and like king crimson and this type of thing hmm. so yeah and this is just something that i still will put on <laughs> nice, uh, yeah yeah and just mark bolan as a character is always kind of uh, been really charming he was a total horn dog type of <laughs> <laughs> just n- non-discriminating <laughs> horn dog. I mean, you know, if all the, as far as uh, the stories that I've heard. Um, so yes, yeah. <laughs> sorry. I wish maybe I, I yeah had a a more compelling reason to select this over any of the other <laughs> records. But I think he's just a funny character. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean. So, so this is, by the sounds of it, this is how you came into T-Rex. Like, where did it take you in terms of T-Rex after that point? Like, did you check out many other of their records? Like, did any connect in the same way? Yeah, I listened to Tyrannosaurus Rex, but it didn't connect in the same way. I think this was maybe the most uh, compelling uh, mm. record of their discography that I encountered. Um, yeah. I mean, yeah. this seems like a, an interesting one. I don't really know T-Rex at all. But oh, I read really? A, no, not okay. really. I mean, obviously, I know the, I know the singles. Mm-hmm. And I think my wife, her dad, maybe listened to a bit of T-Rex. I kind of absorbed 
some through that direction but mm-hmm. i kind of had to read about the context of this record as i was listening to it in terms of the lineage of the band it sounds like it was one that kind of straddled a bit of a transition for them right where it's like they yeah. were coming out of this more folk based stuff it sounds like mark boland started standing up around this yeah. time when they were performing right right glam rock was coming <laughs> in so i mean is that maybe part of why this record's more intriguing is that it's sort of doing a i mean i'm thinking of like say the the one two of the first two tracks where it's just like you really feel them straddling two different spaces where it's like quite a sexy start and then it throttles back like pretty quickly with track two so is that why it's kind of maybe more intriguing is it's that fraughtness or being caught between two spaces like that I think so. I think the in-betweenness is really uh, interesting to me. And, like, I don't really like folk. <laughs> a, a, lo- a lot of folk. But, um, yeah, I think that it goes from something more... Uh, I guess it's something that's not quite popular, but moving into something that's popular um, and just sort of fluffy that I... <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that I like about it. Uh, yeah, maybe there's just some je ne sais quoi as well that's involved. It's just something that is uh, communicating, yeah, so this mm. kind of carefree era. And I think, oh God, this, I know it's not like the 60s, but I really do feel like my my heart on for the 60s has to do with like this idea of it was like the age of innocence in a way and innocence lost, like at the end of it, where there was a lot of like optimism and momentum and like political um, upheaval and then it just kind of dithers away Um, Mm. and maybe like that's why I really particularly like Cosmic Dancers because of this sort of um, uh, like inherent sadness to that song and this kind of like anything that 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 kind of zooms out and sort of talks about (laughs) life um, (laughs) and the like from beginning to end so this is why uh, one, two, three, like, really got to me is because, like, of how striking, um, like, and how short a career, you know, that the Beatles actually yeah. had from, like, releasing stuff. And so I just being able to see life in a totality is uh, really, I don't know, it's moving and touching for me. So, uh, yeah, I guess it's just the association <laughs> of, like, the end of an era uh, that I find to be most interesting in this record. Myself right at the womb. I dance myself right at the womb. Is it strange to dance so soon? I dance myself right at the womb. I was dancing when I was eight. Okay, Victoria, let's go to your final important record taking a bit of a stylistic swerve here so what have we got oh <laughs> okay yeah so did you say hair stylistics is that what you no I didn't. <laughs> oh okay no okay. no because you know hair stylistics is uh violent onsen geisha i read that same... yeah 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 but, yeah yeah that'd been good pun yeah too tired for that yeah <laughs> yeah right right <laughs> yeah nice so i'm totally intentional um <laughs> So I, I, this is another thing I encountered in high school. It was released in the 90s, so I think 91, so exactly 20 years after Electric Warrior. And it was 
maybe one of the first like noise acts and uh you know noise palettes that i encountered that i actually liked Mm. um and i think it had to do with the fact that um i was watching it in conjunction with these youtube videos there were these stop motion animations with barbies like being destroyed and i they may have been the official music videos of uh violent onsen geisha but yeah so excrete music like really stuck with me back then because you know it uh masaya nakahara is um you know the artist behind violent onsen geisha you know hairstylistics and he has an exhaustive expansive like breadth of knowledge of music and he's an avid collector of records and so you know he engages with all sorts of styles like he knows it in and out and and he chooses to express himself through the idiom of noise was you know it's conceptually super compelling to me now knowing that and feeling um a kind of kindredness to that Hmm. but uh back then it was just so intriguing and wild and kind of like irreverent and just kind of transgressive and throwing out of the window like all these um these conventions that i had ascribed to you know or had associated with what music proper was um and you know i did not i took whatever middle school band or whatever but my engagement with music as a, a formal field of knowledge and education has been like very minimal and so I was, yeah, just mostly engaging with music through, like, like indie and rock and, um, you know, kind of starting to get into more ex- experimental stuff. But I think hairstylistics or uh, violent ones and geisha kind of, like, broke through what, like, experimental meant for me. So instead of, like, no wave or noise rock, it's just like, oh, it's noise, it's sound art. And then that kind of opened the way from actual, like, avant-garde composers like Karl-Heinz Stockhausen and, like, Edgar Varese and stuff like that hmm. um, afterward. So, you know, I had to uh, encounter a contemporary, like, then sort of contemporary take on experimental music before I could enjoy the more historical, you know, versions or expressions of, like, experimental music. So in this record, I think it opens with, like, uh, field recordings or maybe just, like, samples of birds singing and then kind of, like, nonsense Japanese, as far as I can tell, and then just very rapidly, like, devolves into just harsh noise and Mm. then having to, like, contend with music in the context of just textures and not harmony and scales and all this stuff was, like, very uh, (laughs) mind-opening, I guess. Uh, as a, like as a teenager, and then that paired with like the I think I, I needed the breadcrumbs of like the the weirdo like stop motion Barbie dismemberment. <laughs> like at this point, I was also like very into Newgrounds. I don't know if you know what Newgrounds is. It's no, a no. it was like a flash animation website, and like people could just like create their own animations and and and. Uh, you know, post them there, and there's, like, this forum and this whole community surrounding it, but, like, this is where, like, Salad Fingers, I don't know if you know what Salad oh, Fingers is. Oh, shit! Yeah, yeah, yeah. David Firth stuff. Of course, I, I know right. what Newgrounds is. Yeah, sorry, this is coming back into my head. Wow, we are really from the same era, I think. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> I think so. It was a very special time. Uh, it, like, AOL Instant Messenger, like, the same kind of... <laughs> yeah, yeah, totally. Uh, timeline, but at, at any rate, I mean, I, I was, like, very much in this kind of... Um, not to say radically open but just like into seeking out things that are like alternative and different and like you know this kind of uh, weirdo animation was a gateway into into that and encountering violent onsen geisha probably through things like Newgrounds um, 
was the gateway drug to, to, I guess, noise. Yeah, which was, of course, consequently gateway drug to, like, other experimental music, sound palettes and stuff. So, you know, anyway, like, it was the first time I was, like, thinking or, like, just kind of getting into, not to say flow state, but in a sort of, like, meditative, like, state of enjoyment, like, through just noise textures and, like, kind of, like, subtle changes in textures and then just kind of losing time to waltz noise and then punctuated by samples from film like english french disco (laughs) hip-hop you know i mean i'm there's like yeah punctuations of different kind of genres um that like emerge from like this kind of like sea of noise uh so yeah a very touchstone uh record for me did you like it straight away I think I had to grapple with it. I think I, I went through several iterations of listening to different parts of it before I could like sit through the whole thing. Mm-hmm. But I am like a believer that it's like once you acquire the taste for noise, it's like nothing sounds the same after that. Yeah, <laughs> nothing does it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so was this the? F- I mean, is there a reason you've picked excrete music? It was at the first record you heard by Violent Onsen Geisha or was it the one that stuck with you or I think it was the one that yeah it stuck with me because of its pairing with an animation I believe that's the case you know Mm. things get a little bit fuzzy um with time but I think this is excrete music also just the title itself um really kind of resonates with me too because it's like shit music right Right. and this is what he does is he just consumes 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 so much music you know kind of digests metabolizes all this music and this is kind of the end result yeah (laughs) it's like it's this uh product byproduct i don't know (laughs) yeah 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 where did it take you after you came into this record it sounded like as you say this was kind of the breakthrough one for you for noise where did you go after this point I think I was listening to just more straight, harsh noise, like Mertzbau, Masona stuff. Mm. And um, just also, I think there was a time where I was just listening to this very casually. And then eventually when I started, you know, making synthesizers and going to live shows, then the live shows completely eclipsed my um, consumption of recorded noise. So that kind of like fell by the wayside. Uh, eventually, like, you know, come the end of college, post-college. Um, and even now, I like, I listen to noise, like, occasionally, like, you know, if I'm in the mood, but I vastly prefer the live experience over it. And I've never seen Hairstylistics or Violent Onsen Geisha live, but I would really, really love to. <laughs> yeah, I was going to ask, is he, is he still doing stuff? I think so. I believe he releases stuff every single week, but I think it might be just <laughs> in, in CD form or... Um, he has a blog or something like that. Like, I mean, we follow each other on social media, but like, honest, I honestly, I try to spend as little time as possible, like looking at the timeline and stuff, but I should probably reach out more. I, it's more of like, I feel like the next time I go to Japan, which I used to go every year, but, um, you know, the, the pandemic, I would really love to reach out and just to, to visit because my buddies, uh, in the band rubber O cement, do you know this band? I've, yeah, I've heard of them. Yeah. Um, they're super good friends with him and like they've stayed over and like exchanged like electronics and gifts and stuff like that and it just sounds like I, I would just love to peruse his library and just like chat about music with him because it's like it's like a dictionary 
Mm-hmm. Or encyclopedia, rather. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. We mentioned the Newgrounds Forum. Uh, yes. I think I read that in an interview you mentioned that forums were, were, were a big part of your route into music. I mean, were there any other forums around that time that were pivotal for you in terms of putting you onto stuff? Oh, enormously, yeah. I was also so into IDM at the time, like Aphex Twin, uh, Venetian Snares, Clark, it's like Planet Mew. Um, wow. Uh, oh, God, what is what is Aphex Twin's... Uh, oh, my God, I'm so out of it. Um, <laughs> Reflex, Reflex yeah. Records. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, and I was on this forum called We Are The Music Makers, or Wadham, and... Mm-hmm. A lot of the people who were on that forum became like real life friends of of mine if we were geographically near each other. And then, you know, I lived in Boston for 13 years. I moved out there for college and just kind of stuck around for um, a a job and so on. And then um, moving, I recently moved back to San Francisco and ran into people or met people through the, the noise scene who were also on that forum. No and I just way. recognized them based on their, you know, their their display name, their handle. And it's no just like, God, way. what a small fucking world. That's Super insane. tiny world. This is um, also, bizarrely, I think the second episode in the row that I've had a user from We Are The Music Makers. No! Who else? Who else? So my friend Martin Thompson, who oh. I believe went on there quite a lot. I don't know what his username would have been, but I'll definitely find out because if you're on there a lot, I think he yeah, was as know. well. Oh, gosh. My behavior on there was not very... Uh, oh, right. <laughs> Maybe we'll keep it discreet. Embarrassing. It's fine. Who cares? I mean, I was also (laughs) at that time very much deeply into 4chan and like being kind of provocative. I was like a maybe a baby edgelord or something. I'm not like that at all anymore, but definitely cultivated something. (laughs) This forum. Anyway. I think everyone um, who was on forums kind of felt that potential power for a bit, didn't they, too? I, I hope so, yeah. I, I <laughs> Make me feel did. better. <laughs> <laughs> um, wow, that's so cool. Uh, so, you still listen to this one now, right? Excrete Music? Is this one you still spin? Yeah, so probably once a year, you know? So, yeah, yeah. Uh, not, not like all the time, all the time, but um, yeah, it's God. I, uh, embarrassingly will admit that i i have a spotify account that i got for free from work before um and my rapt (laughs) is all like oh god it's like what is it uh italian soundtrack music (laughs) and (laughs) like library music i've really become super old um but yeah and but but then also avant-garde is squished in there somewhere too so that's uh number three yeah but it is, it's, th- it's that thing, I, I've heard Holly Herndon say this, where she's like, you can listen to like a Penderecki piece once, yes. and that's plenty. Yeah. Uh, and, there's, and, and I think that's the thing with Spotify, isn't it? It skews towards frequency of listens, which isn't the same as depth of impact. Oh, know? totally. So that's true. So this Violent on and Geisha record, I imagine once a year is enough, like... One teenage listen is worth, I don't know, like 200. Oh, man. <laughs> like yeah. mid 30s listens, right? So <laughs> Yeah, yeah, totally. Uh, so, what does it, when you listen to a record like this now, obviously it's something that envelops your attention. How would you listen to this record uh, if you're going to have one of your annual listens? Like, what does that listening experience look like? 
Uh, a lot of times, yeah, it'll be like, okay, I'm alone. Uh, <laughs> I'm going to fire up the nice sound system and then have a tea and like think about stuff and have a notebook out. I think I'll, uh, yeah, I don't, I don't smoke weed. I probably should. Uh, <laughs> but it's like, I put myself in the state as if I were just like, having a nice, like a smoke and a pancake type thing. So like, <laughs> I really try to be attentive because it takes a lot. I mean, honestly, I feel like I have very bad ADD. Um, so I have to be like really intentional about like when I, feel like okay i really want to glean something from this kind of sound and it's good it's really important um that mm. i do it and usually it's really generative for like ideas that's a little bit like cathartic as well so uh mm. yeah it's like a special thing i guess <laughs> <laughs> In terms of how you bring music into your life as mm. someone who consumes music, who, who buys music, mm -hmm. what does that look like? Uh, it's pretty near constant that I'm listening uh, to music. Um, if I'm biking, I have um, a JBL clip speaker that's on my bike. And <laughs> oh, you're blasting as you go. Wow. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's probably really obnoxious to the people <laughs> around me, but they only have to deal with it for a split second unless they're biking with me, right? <laughs> if someone is biking away from me, maybe I perceive that as a challenge. It's like, oh, maybe I should just inundate you with no. <laughs> more in the like the trolley edgelord tip, but um, yeah, I like I like to constantly listen to music uh, like everywhere, um, and then I try to genre hop a lot too mm. which is and I, I still am guilty of listening to like just track by track and not really consuming whole albums as they're intended unless you know they're my friends albums so that's like you know the exception it's like if i know this person then i'm going to take the time to like listen to kind of like the whole piece as they put it together nice. um so this is yeah it's probably not healthy to not do that all the time i don't know or ethical I, or something something not good right <laughs> sub suboptimal but um, yeah, I do try to like listen to uh, like Moscow techno and then like, you know, butt techno. He's great. No, I all. don't. No. Cool. <laughs> and then uh, <clears throat> and then maybe something like experimental and then maybe some like uh, Pareo or then maybe, you know, so just like to keep things fresh, I guess, is uh, my MO. Um, great. Victoria, thank you. It's been awesome to talk about these three records i've actually had a really good time listening through them as Ooh. well it's quite a selection so jumping between t-rex and violent onsen geisha is again you talk about genre hopping blimey mm. um and as well talking about your own music and what you've got going on thank you very much for for coming on the podcast oh, thanks so much for having me it's been a pleasure and to everyone listening i'll see you next time goodbye